This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Welcome to the show, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy, and joining us, Andrew Glukov on this final Black and Gold Banneret Podcast of the year 2020. Thank goodness this year is finally coming to an end. You know what? 2021 is going to be... It's probably going to get off to a slow start, guys, but at least we're through this one. <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, it's been it's been a rough year, and, you know, it, obviously not nearly as rough for us as it has been for many people out there, obviously. I don't want to make light of that, but, um, you know, everyone can... You know, I think we're all going to remember this as the year that wasn't, I think. Don't you agree? <laughs> Oh, totally. Yeah, historic, uncanny, weird, sad, different year. And we all had to adjust to so many different things. But just talking athletically, you know, it was, it was yeah, it was, it was a year in which so many things changed. It took us a long time to sort of get our bearings yeah. around it. But, you know, we are. And we are going to see the end of it and hope for better things in 2021. It may not be the best year ever, but it will be a better year. I feel like that one week in March was like, a week ago and like the rest of the week is just the rest of the the rest of the year has just been that fast but anyway we'll we'll recap 2020 as best we can um take away try and take away some positives of it in our second segment uh but in our first segment we're going to talk about uh men's and women's basketball just kind of catch you up on things so recording we're recording this of course wednesday december uh 30th and uh 10 23 p.m at this time right now uh, well, I guess we would be finishing up post game from UCF against Tulane, but that game got postponed literally three hours before tip off uh, due to officially what is being called COVID-19 related issues. We've had no reports of anybody testing positive for either team. Thank goodness. Um, so we're not really sure what the what the total deal is with that. But all we know is that you know UCF is coming off of that. Um, Rather tight loss to Houston by nine points at home uh, the day after uh, Christmas, and a game which which they performed pretty well, Murph. But uh, but now we won't see UCF again until the new year, January second, Saturday, this coming Saturday against um, USF. So uh, I wanted to go back just real quick and and look back at that Houston game because you know I I think that um, you know I count me as one of the people who thought you know shoot if we if we have a good performance in this game you know you know win or lose I'll be pretty happy, but there we were in uh, in the second half with a lead, and you know I I think you you talked to Coach Dawkins uh, post game uh, Brian and um and you know he was saying that are there positive takeaways from it Yeah, but I think that the players are a little bit ticked about this, but I think that's actually okay because to be honest with you, there were quite a few positives to take away from this game, weren't there? Absolutely. I think, you know, Johnny Dawkins is never going to get like moral victories out of anything. Certainly not right after the fact of a loss. Like he's just not going to give you that satisfaction of like, well, we, we did this, we did that. Like that, those things will come, those things are there, but in the aftermath and in the fog of a a loss, any loss, there's always going to just be disappointment. But I I think he also does understand that this team was right there with the number six team in the country. Now, now the number five team in the country, but more on that in one second. Uh, they were right there with Houston uh, with two minutes to play, down by four. Uh, and I thought, you know, like we said on the night shift after the game, 
don't I wouldn't categorize it that they played well, but I would say that they played hard. And I thought their defense was good. They really forced Houston into some tough offensive possessions for much of the first half, really. It was a defensive battle. Ultimately, it comes down to two things. One, UCF makes too many turnovers, too many mistakes with the ball. And secondly, does not, you know, really can't get going from three-point range. Goes two for 13 from deep. Now, Houston has one of the best perimeter defenses in the country. Uh, So that's, you know, maybe not to be expected, but that's what they do. It's like two for 13 is kind of around their percentage average as well. But it just goes to show that UCF is, you know, with a couple fewer turnovers and maybe a one or two extra threes, UCF is possibly winning that game. I mean, I know it ends up as a nine-point margin, but it wasn't, you know, there wasn't much of a difference between those two teams on that Saturday. So uh, I think ultimately it was um, an encouraging showing, not a happy showing or, you know, ultimately they're disappointed, but certainly things you can take away from it moving forward now into Saturday's game at USF. You know, it was amazing to me, Murph, and and from this game, and it was that uh, people forget this. 8.54 to go in the second half. Darius Perry makes a jumper to make it 46-41. Houston was up by five at that point. And UCF doesn't get, uh, gets one field goal, one made shot from the floor the rest of the game. And that came with 28 seconds to go. They had one field goal in the final nine minutes, which first of all is a credit to Houston's defense. They were outstanding. Um, They are as advertised. And this is going to be, and by the way, this is a much different Houston team than what we're going to see later on in the year. Um, because, uh, you know, obviously we only saw a very, very little bit of uh, Caleb Mills. Uh, even though he was a factor down the stretch, it certainly was not the kind of Caleb Mills game that we were expecting from the preseason player of the year. But uh, give credit to Houston's defense. And, and like, and here was UCF with, uh, what was it? Two minutes and 15 seconds to go. They're down four. Even, right. Having not made a shot in six minutes. And right. Uh, and they were, they were right there. They were right there. There were a lot of turnovers. And again, they weren't making a shot. There were a lot of turnovers, a lot of misses. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think we could all sort of look at that and go like, yeah, they're right there with this team. Caleb Mills was outstanding in the final couple of minutes where he made two gigantic baskets. And not only that were decisive in the game, but also kind of showcased his skill and ability and why he – one of the reasons why he's the conference preseason player of the year – uh, in those two baskets, which were just, you know, high-level skill shots or high-level skill plays. Um, but also, you know, Johnny Dawkins talked about that that stretch, that eight-minute stretch without a field goal down, you know, closing in those final eight, nine minutes. And he just said that they need to be playing with more poise, more patience uh, going forward. I, 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 I think I look at that and say he, didn't, he just didn't like the, the shot selection, yeah. that maybe they settled too much, kind of like they did in the Michigan game. Uh, and he wants them to sort of just run a more patient offense. Um, we'll see what happens against USF, who really played pretty well for about 30 minutes at Memphis, was up by 12 with about 10 minutes to go, and then completely imploded with a bevy of turnovers that allowed Memphis to come back and ultimately win that game by one. Uh, as they were, they, they were outscored something like 22 to 7 down the stretch. It was really a bad loss for USF. But, you know, for them to hang with Memphis, you know, and for UCF to hang with Houston, I know Memphis isn't particularly great this year, but 
that kind of gives both those teams, uh, I, I would say, some encouragement heading into this game. Yeah. Leading scorers for UCF, by, by the way, for the game, Darius Perry and Brandon Mayhan at 13 each, 12 for Darren Green Jr. Um, uh, Eric, uh, Coach Dawkins was talking afterwards about how Brandon Mayhan needs to, you know, understand that he's a marked man now. And uh, and I think that was certainly the case. You know, they, uh, Houston did key on him very much, held him to only eight shots. Uh, four of them went in. He did get to the line a little bit, five out of six there. You know, thir- and, and even though he led the team in scoring, it was clear that their objective was to shut him down. Um, and we saw, you know, Isaiah Adams actually performed pretty well, I think, in his uh, – uh, or, or actually, I, I'm sorry. Isaiah Adams had a very rough game. I think it, it actually it was only one six, two points. I think I think they really did a good job on him. But um, uh, th- this was actually a pretty good day for Darren Green because he was actually he was able to get open um, and did hit uh, and did hit five of twelve shots, even though he only hit one three. But you know, this is uh, the, uh, again, it was a good effort from Houston defensively. Um, but yeah, there's this is one of those cases where okay, what do you do when you know teams know how to play your top guys and the secret gets out? Like, what do you do here? So, what do we learn from this, Eric? I think that's the question, and we were going to see if we were going to find that out against Tulane, how this team would react to it. Now we got to wait to the South Florida game on Saturday. But you mentioned mayhem, and I think the eight shot attempts, you know, and he's going to have to be aggressive every game, and I think that was Johnny's message. Brandon, because Brandon and, and Murph, you know, we've talked about it on the night shift last year. He would have big games and then, you know, not have, you know, be as aggressive the next game and things like that. Well, he kind of has to be aggressive right now. This offense, what we've learned is this team is at his best when mayhem is rolling and attacking the basket and being aggressive and trying to score and being maybe your marquee score. And then you got Adams, your freshman. He got it dealt with the two quick fouls. And I think the foul issues kind of threw him off against a good defense with Houston. Yeah. And and so it's those two and probably, you know, Darren, that's been their three main scores until we kind of see what happens with Fuller and, you know, obviously with Perry. So, uh, you know, for Mayhem, I think they just want the shots to go up because the way he's playing, if he gets, t- you know, instead of eight shots, get him up to 13, 14, don't force bad shots. But I think Johnny's point is just stay aggressive. And I think, but in Houston, in his in Mayhan's defense, I think Houston gave him some different looks. They were not going to give him a lot of space, and I think Brandon will adjust to that. And and I think they'll be fine. Uh, and and Murph, you even mentioned this when we were live on the night shift after the game, where well, it was Mayhem and Perry, right? Where they were talking. Uh, sort of people were telling you that they were talking already kind of figuring out what went wrong and what, you know, the leadership was showing right away after the game. Like, in other words, this is not, it wasn't good. The, there, there, there seems to be leadership developing within the team. Yeah. They were sort of doing like a, a postmortem, a bit of an autopsy on this game. And this was about 40 minutes after the game or so. And I was wrapping up to head out to, to join you on the night shift. And uh, I ran into someone uh, on, with the program who said, you know, Darius Perry and Brandon Mahan are still in there basically talking ball, basically strategizing and, and talking about what went wrong, what they can do better, and basically, you know, sort of just already game planning. Uh, and that's a great sign. And, and one, well, it's one thing you want to see out of your seniors, especially a guy like Darius Perry, who has been in a ton of ACC battles against the best teams in the nation night in, night out. For him to face a team – like Houston is just another night at the office. This is not, you know, we we all see it as this big opportunity for Houston to prove itself. 
but for Darius Perry, like he he knows what it's like to play in these games all the time. So that's what that's what you kind of want to see. But also, it just go, it kind of shows you that this team has leadership, and that when things go rough or things go sideways or things don't go the way they want them to, uh, this team has at least a couple of guys that I think can can maybe pull this team together and and and, and galvanize. So uh, I don't you know I don't think this team and this is be famous last words, but I don't think this loss will all of a sudden beset this team into some sort of swoon as we head into the new year. I think this team understands this was a loss. There's things to change and clean up and execute more properly. Um, but but I think they'll be able to turn the page because of guys like Mahan and Perry. Yeah. Drew, what do you think from the game? Well, my, my biggest take is look at the minutes played. You know, UCF had four guys who played over 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Darren Green played 38 out of 40 minutes versus Houston only had two guys over 30 minutes. Uh, you're playing a seven-man rotation. Uh, they gassed out. Oh, we saw it against Cincinnati. You know, they built a big lead. They, it started wilting away as, as the, you know, the second half wore on. They ran out. They got tired. Uh, you, you're trying to run a seven-man rotation. It just, it's tough. Uh, and that's when you, you know you 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 know Tony Johnson's out you know really really hurting but you know you look at turnovers and control Darren Green no turnovers uh, Fuller seven turnovers I mean you know obviously playing a positionless game like the Coach Dawkins has going on this year which is definitely an unconventional way but I I sort of understand it because you look at Darius Perry and you say point guard but he doesn't play like a point guard he plays more like a two guard. Uh, he's more of a of a create your shot guy more than a facilitator, and as a result, you need guys such as you know bigger players like Mobley to to step in and and be a passing facilitator that you normally don't get out of larger players. But what comes of that also comes the mental grind of having to maintain that intensity because you're you're almost playing out of position, and it wears you out. And until they can get guys into shape and back on the court, it's going to be tough against, you know, the, the upper echelon of the conference, you know, UCF made it uh, a, a half and a half, you know, three quarters of a game. Tulsa just turned around and, and knocked them off in very uh, interesting fashion by one point. But uh, I think, uh, I think part of that could have been Houston being a little run down from the uh, suffocating zone defense that UCF employs. I mean, I was impressed with the, how good that zone defense was yeah. at just absolutely throwing off a much more talented Cougar programming. Mean, you know, we love we love UCF. We love what they do. But let's call a spade a spade. Houston was a more talented program, and, and the Knights hung with them. And it all comes down to that zone defense that they just couldn't figure out until they wore UCF stamina down. Yeah, I think that's 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 a great point. And you know, the thing that I was impressed by was like, okay, so Houston comes in. We know they're the bigger team, right? I mean, they have they have big guys up front that they can throw at you. Um, and, you know, Bryson Gresham in particular. Um, you know, he finished. Uh, he actually didn't miss a shot uh, and finished with eight points, uh, even though he fouled out. But UCF held Houston to eighteen of fifty. That's thirty six percent from the field, um, including eight of twenty six in the first half. Uh, UCF on the other side was 16 of 43, which is 37 percent. So, um, you know, you got to do better on that perspective. And also, like you mentioned, Murph, only two of 13 from three-point range was UCF at 15.4 percent. Um, you know, this was a this was a classic conference play defensive battle. 
but I was really pleased at the fact that when the when the again when the offense wasn't wasn't clicking, the defense clicked on, and they knew what they had to do in order to do against against you know what was like you said, Drew, a very a much more talented Houston team, you know, up and down the roster, and on top of the fact that you that they have a that they had like we said earlier such a tremendous depth advantage at this point because UCSMO right now is like we're going to play small. And we're going to force you into into a uh, into a mismatch, and uh, and that worked. That worked against Cincinnati, and it darn near worked against Houston. I'm really curious how it's going to work against USF, though, because you got yet in the back. Um, that, that's going to be uh, that, that's going to be a really interesting matchup here, don't you think, Murph? Well. Do they have yet in the back? Yeah, we don't know yet. Oh, no, we don't he know yet, do we? Oh, yeah, he, that's right. He didn't. He did not play the Memphis game to everybody's shock. Nobody announced anything. He just showed up. He was on the – I watched the whole game. He was literally in the lot – in the – up on the bench and nobody like, oh, by the way, yeah, he's not playing. Oh, well, that's kind of important. And then it finally came out during the Memphis game that he has like a strained left hip or a strained uh, well, issue. A lower, a lower, they called it a lower leg strain. Right, and- lower leg strain, yeah. That, that, I do that every time I pick up my daughter. But anyway, that's because you're old. Yeah, that's true. That leads me to fear. Like, are we talking calf strain? Because if it's a calf strain, then that's that's that could be problematic depending on the severity. Right. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if Yetna's available. I, I wanted to mention another thing too. Actually, if you want to widen the scope a little bit and look at UCF's next few games, uh, you know, because Drew mentioned Tulsa's narrow win over Houston last night, being Tuesday, so they beat Houston. Tulsa's off to a quick 2-0 start in conference with victories at Memphis and against Houston. <laughs> and, and and so after this USF game, the UCF will play on Saturday. They'll host Memphis next week on Tuesday, and then they will have Tulsa on the road next Saturday, the January the 9th. So that Tulsa game now, uh, you know, they were preseason, kind of in the middle of the pack, just just above UCF and the preseason rankings. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, to what? You know, what Gosh. we've seen early on is Tulsa has taken down some good teams. Well, Tulsa with this freaking gold dust season of theirs again, this team. Well, Unbelievable. Well, here's the thing, though. I mean, and it's, it's, we forget this because literally the season shut down b- literally before the conference tournament starts as Murph can oblige as, as the, <laughs> one of the few people in the building at the Dickies Arena. Uh, Tulsa was the regular season champions. They were the co-regular season champions last year of the league, and their issue was – they can win at ho- beat anybody at home, but struggled on the road. As a result, their net rankings were not very good. Um, we're kind of seeing the same thing. They're very good at home. They beat Houston. There we go, at home. We know the success of UCF Athletics in Tulsa, guys, don't we? <laughs> what success? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and to me, that's the big thing that hurts about the two-lane game being postponed. Is Because, Murph, I remember you brought that up on the night shift is Hey, they got this two-lane game to kind of get over the Houston game and bounce, get a win. And yeah. well, they didn't get that. So now they got to go to South Florida, a team that's a lot better than the record shows. You brought up the Memphis game; they blew. They also blew a Wichita State game, very similar fashion and in a similar way, where they kind of got pressured and turned the ball over. They really could have easily won two conference games, and their schedule would be completely different. I think that's going to be a real tough battle. They've them. already won. They've already won at Cincinnati, leading into those two losses. Uh, so, that's right. you know, with, with some better ball handling, USF could be three and zero. 
And they would be the team that, you know, it's kind of weird because last year, you know, Murph, we've teased you about, you know, how high you were on it, but you weren't alone. There were a lot of people that thought South Florida would be the sleeper team in the league. They had the injury to Yetna, and it just didn't, everything went wrong. And yet they've kind of been under the radar this year, and I I watched them. They're really good. They're not, like, I could see why people like them. It's just, can it all work together? My worry is they blew a lead against Wichita State. They blew this game against Memphis. They should have won the game. They didn't get a whistle at the end, uh, probably because it's Memphis and it's at Memphis. And Penny probably paid them off, you know, paid the rest. What? Oh, my God. What's just kidding. Kidding. Bitter party of one. Wow. I just heard. Re- I mean, you never know. Um, but that, that I've, I've heard of casting be- aspersions, but that just takes the cake. Anyway, just kidding. Kidding. Um, <laughs> But they're good. I mean, David Collins, their guard. I mean, he's been in the league what now? Ten years going. Um, <laughs> he's got tenure in the conference. Yes. But they've got. I'll tell you, the freshmen. We've talked a lot about Isaiah Adams and Mister UCF basketball, as I call him. Caleb Murphy, their freshman. He might be Mister USF basketball. The kid was tremendous. Was the best player on the court against Memphis. Uh, he he was tremendous, and he's been really playing well. Gregory's a good coach, and look, Murph, you were there last year, and I'm sure you you know you guys saw it last year. The worst game that UCF played last season was at USF, and they're gonna the UCF's gonna have to be ready here for this game on Saturday. That is gonna be a tough game, and then you got Memphis, who has talent. You don't know which Memphis team shows up, and at Tulsa, this is gonna be an interesting three game stretch. And then they still got to go to Temple, who's not good, but it's still on the road. And then you go to Houston. Yeah. So that's four of the next five on the road. Yikes. Yeah. I will say that is that is the key to the game. As we talked about UCF's turnovers in this game, 17 against Houston, Murphy and Collins in these last two games, these narrow losses for, for USF, those two combined in the last two games have turned the ball over 18 times. So it really comes down to who shoots themselves in the foot less. Hmm. Yeah. You know, you look at the conference, you know, the American is pretty solid conference. I mean, there's only two teams with losing records. There's uh, the conference as a whole is ranked seventh in the net right now. If you use the old RPI system, they're second. And, you know, you have multiple teams in the in the the top 100. You know, Houston's obviously leading the way. But Cincinnati, two and, you know, what, two and five record. They're 51 in the net because they're playing tough teams. Uh, this is not, uh, you know, a you know Mickey Mouse cookie cutter conference. This is a tough. This is a tough league, and 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 Eric, you talked about about Tulsa. I mean, Tulsa's got you know you know they got one loss, but they got that that big win against Houston. Uh, I, I I you know there's there's no gimme games at this point. Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to be. We've already talked about how how many times can we possibly say how unique this season is going to be and in particular this is just going to be a dogfight in the american you know we, yeah and, and by the way when you zoom out and look at the standings yeah smu and wichita are 2 and 0 to start off uh tulsa 3 and 1 memphis 2 and 1 houston 2 and 2 uh theoretically tied with east carolina and uh and ucf at 500 in the conference right now but um but yeah this is going to be a uh this this is going to be a dogfight this conference the rest of the way and i'm and i'm all for it cuz um yeah, we're gonna see some. Uh, we're gonna see some weird results. Although I'm not sure how that's gonna play out in the NCAA come NCAA tournament selection time with all well, these that, teams that's beating up be on the each big, other. 
That's going to be the big question. I think Houston's going to be a lock. They're fine. Like the Tulsa game was a flip of a coin. You know, it happens. Uh, I wouldn't read too much. SMU, I still think, is the second best team. They, they, they're they undefeated. They won their conference game on Wednesday. The question's going to be, if we uh, depending on this weird season, is can the American get a third team into the field? Can a third team establish themselves, whether it be Tulsa, can Memphis, UCF, I'm going to throw South Florida in there. I like what I've seen from South Florida. That if the, if college if they played 32 minute ha- uh, games instead of 40, <laughs> they could be very undefeated right now. If they could figure out how to close games, I I think they're really good. I, and I think uh, I was very impressed with seeing them against Memphis and then other games I've seen them in before on ESPN Plus. So uh, I think that's to me. And I think Murph, we may have mentioned this on the night shift. I think from from three to nine, it's a toss-up. It could come down to a, a couple of bounces, an injury could make the difference in the world in this league. Yeah, and uh, it's, it is too bad that UCF doesn't get this two-lane game now, because like we talked about, this was a game that UCF should have won maybe by double digits. I believe the spread here was eight in UCF's favor. I saw seven, uh, but yeah, right around there. Yeah, and this is one of the this would have been one of the easier games, so to speak on UCF schedule and would have been um, you know, a, a, a good, a, a, just a good bounce back. Uh, and unfortunately, they don't have that. And now they got to go on the road in a rivalry game against, again, a team we've said many times, but a team that, that uh, has played better than the results. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have to see on that one now. That's going to be an ESPN Plus game, right, Eric? That is correct, yep. folks. Uh, after the high of ABC, which, by the way, and then you'll see it on blackandgoldbanneret.com right now, the most watched UCF regular season basketball game of all time. In fact, it's the most watched UCF non-NCAA tournament men's basketball game of all time this past Saturday against Houston. Did a big number. Uh, to put it in perspective, it did better than six UCF football games this year. It <laughs> crushed Orlando City uh, playoff game numbers. Uh, it did a really good number. So That's good. good day for the league. Good day for the league. I have all the details on blackandgoldbanneret.com on that. But, yes, we're back to ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, well, ABC. Yeah, I was going to say, go ahead, Drew. I'm sorry. I just said, yeah, ABC. Yeah. Uh, that's the benefit of, of network television. That's the that's the benefit of that. I, I hate saying it, Drew, but again, but, you know, you were right, Eric. hate saying it, but that TV contract, more ABC opportunities, always good I for mean, the it, league. Always good for UCF, tra- too. It's a trade-off. And this is the thing people don't get. Because you're helping ESPN out with all the content you're providing on ESPN Plus, you're going to get more benefit of the doubt on in return. And I think we've seen that at football. Remember, UCF East Carolina got moved to ABC. We see this with the UCF Houston game. This is ESPN repaying the league, kind of paying back. And that's how the relationship mm. works. So there's positives. You know, I know some people don't like all the ESPN Plus stuff, but guess what? The Big 12's going that route. The SEC and their new TV deal, they're going to have more games than ESPN+. Plus. So uh, I think it was a big plus, big positive there. And by the way, the Memphis game will be scheduled for ESPNU. Nine o'clock tip, boys. Yeah, I know. East on we got to bring night. the coffee to the uh, to the arena that night, huh? I don't know. I'm worried about what Murph's going to bring to drink. <laughs> oh, I'll bring no. coffee. Okay. And then the Tulsa <laughs> game. That's an ESPN Plus 2 o'clock in the afternoon from beautiful Tulsa, Oklahoma yeah. on Saturday the night on Wild Card NFL Saturday. Holy smokes. Hope you got extra TVs. Murph, I know you got extra TVs set up for that one. 
<laughs> it's got that one. So, all right. So we'll uh, keep an eye on uh, that game against USF. I, personally, I think you know. Hey, if you get a victory over USF on the road, coming off that loss to Houston, that's an even yes. bigger boost than a win no, over Tulane team you like, should have beaten. I, I, so I, I want people to understand this is a very tough game. This is like, I, in fact, I would, ex- I will predict. When the I guess what the numbers usually come out the day before is that how that's been right like a day before the day of yeah I would ex- I would expect South Florida to actually be favored I think they'll be favored by three points four points okay all right we'll keep an eye on that so meanwhile on the other side the women's side oh yeah, another game yeah. we can't forget about them because you're know, actually they're off to a really good start people please pay attention they're four and one two and zero oh in the conference but they haven't played since December the nineteenth when they beat Tulsa by eleven points. And, uh, and by the way, in Tulsa, mind you, so much for that, so much for the somebody, UCF curse I'm in Tulsa. Somebody. But All right, uh, just bring, so bring Coach Abe to any future football yes. and men's basketball games to Tulsa. Yeah, just bring her with you because she's the good luck charm. Uh, UCF has had their last two games postponed: the Georgia Tech on December twenty first, and then Memphis. Uh, it was supposed to be a doubleheader uh, at home on uh, uh, tonight, this Wednesday. You know, they were scheduled to play Memphis. Uh, at 5 p.m., followed by the men, and then this, and then th- that game got scotched actually a few days Saturday. ago. Yeah, Saturday. Saturday. So they're smart; they don't waste time. Yeah, they didn't waste any time. That would have been the ESPN Plus game. So now, the next time we see UCF women's basketball will be Sunday, January 3rd, at home against Houston. That game will be on ESPNU. Uh, the day after the UCF men's game is at South Florida, uh, and uh, you know when you look at the American standings right now, this is. This is how it shakes out right now. There are five teams who are undefeated, and then everybody else is winless in the league. So your undefeated teams are South Florida, East Carolina, Houston, UCF, and Temple. Um, you know, right now Temple actually is the worst out of them at two and three overall, but two and zero oh in the league. But uh, ECU's five and three. USF's off to a six and one start. We kind of expected that. Houston's a little bit of a surprise, but Ronald Huey, former UCF assistant, got this team playing hard. Uh, five and one off to a five and one start, and UCF is at uh, four and one, and uh, so that's the situation that we're looking at right now for UCF uh, women's basketball. As we just await for them to sort of restart their season. Uh, by the way, some of Houston's wins—they got a big win at Oklahoma to start the season, uh, and they also beat uh, Auburn by double digits. Uh, and they're coming off of—they're uh, coming off of wins at Memphis and at home against Wichita State to start off the. Uh, to start off conference play. So this is a it's a pretty doggone good Houston team that Ronald Huey has actually rebuilt from the ground up. So um really ple- really happy for Ron cuz he was such a uh he was such an enthusiastic assistant under Joy Williams for all those years. Well, and you want to know the storyline here, all right? Uh, Murph Murph and Andrew, you're going to love this little storyline. Houston's top scorer, Brittany Oneje. Hopefully I did. Brittany Oneje. Thank you. See, this is see, guys. This is why Jeff's the PA guy. I am not. Uh, <laughs> so, what's fascinating? She's a flu, you know, Pflugerville, Texas. You know where she transferred from, right? UCF. Look at that! Bing, ding, ding. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, you, you're on top of this. I, I, I didn't even know that until I was kind of studying this game. Uh, so this is there. You don't see that that often. She transferred. Uh, sat out last year, and uh, here she is. I would assume, you know. And having a great start to the season, averaging 16 points a game, uh, they have been the surprise. You mentioned Ronald Huey, former UCF assistant under Joy Williams. Uh, they have been the surprise. They beat Oklahoma. They've beaten Auburn. They are a lot better. I think they're the surprise. And that's going to be a tall game, big game for UCF, who's had a, a lot of time off. So you wonder, rust, 
versus rest. You know, the women, you know, that's going to be interesting how that plays out. The game's going to be on ESPNU on Sunday, but it's a huge game because, you know, we've talked about USF and UCF being the top teams in the league. South Florida is ranked in the top 25. UCF's receiving votes, uh, you know, and perhaps a couple of wins away from that historic milestone of being a top 25 ranked team for the first time in the Division One era. Well, Houston could spoil all that. They're very capable. I think this could be a one-possession game very easily. They've played some close games in the past. Houston likes to shoot the three a lot. Uh, so this is going to be a heck of a ball game, and I'm very nervous about this because Houston's playing with good rhythm, good consistency, and UCF now hasn't played since December 19th. That's, to me, my concern going into Sunday. Well, here's I want to the... add something real quick ahead, um, before we jump over uh, how to make this game even bigger. You know, uh, we know that the men use the net rankings for, for figuring out tournaments. Uh, the women still use the RPI. Houston's 14th in the RPI. Uh, they're up there. And, and UCF's currently 99th. So I mean, they need a, a top 25 RPI win. And, and this would be it. And obviously they get a second chance at Houston later in the season in the, near the end of January. But that makes this game even bigger. Aside from the being on TV, you have the, the connections of head coach and players. Uh, you need it from from the standing standpoint and the ranking standpoint. You need that RPI boost. Yeah, yeah. Interesting point here for this game. This is going to be the key breakdown. How does UCF uh, play in the first quarter in particular? Because UCF has not been very good in the first quarter this season. Uh, they're getting outscored by 19 points by their opponents, um, and Houston likes to jump out. They're outscoring their opponents by 15 points total. Yeah. in the first quarter. And- and Houston is probably the team that could be the foil to South Florida and Houston. You know, before the season, a lot of people thought, well, maybe it's Tulane. They're off to a slow start. Cincinnati is clearly in a rebuild year. They have the best preseason player of the year in Thomas, but they don't have much around there because a lot of the players around there from last year graduated. They're one in five overall. They've, they're off to a slow start. So to me, who is the team that could foil South Florida and UCF? It might be this Houston team. It mm-hmm. might be. They have the firepower to do it. Uh, so I'm actually looking forward to this game on ESPNU. You mentioned multiple TVs. I will have that ready because obviously there's a very important NFL Sunday at <laughs> 1 o'clock. Right, 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 Drew? Big important 1 o'clock block between your Browns and my Dolphins trying to get in and then Murph and Jeff's Giants trying to play out a, you know draft picks or whatever. Uh, All right, now listen, listen, listen. We either get the, get the NFC East crown, which awesome, or we get the number three pick in the draft, which is just as awesome. I'll take it. Well, first I mean, one. six and ten and going to the playoffs, and this—it's almost disgraceful. Whatever, I'll take it. So. I mean, it is what it is, and that's and and that's actually what makes playoffs beautiful is that there's concrete rules on how to get in. You win your division, concept, you get right? in, or you get one of the wild cards. That's a playoff. Shocking. Unbelievable. Yeah, apparently we reward six and ten teams because of it. Go figure. No, we're um, not rewarding anyone. It's just them's them's the rules. We didn't make it up. Yeah. Maybe we should you be play to win rules. the game. You play to win I the will, game. By the way, I do have to correct you. If the Texans lose to the Titans, go Jeremy Brenner, who has predicted that his beloved Texans <laughs> will lose. The Dolphins will lock up the third pick because they have I the am Texans. Rooting pick. for the Texans. Yes. But uh I, I do want to say back to basketball. Um so, I love how I, I don't see how. Yeah, he just he just right dove there. out of that. But um, you uh, uh, you know we mentioned UCF is being outscored uh, by 19 points in the first quarter. 
In the second quarter total this year, UCF has outscored their opponents by 40 points combined, 96 to 56 in the second quarter, uh, and by 14 points in the third quarter. Houston struggles down the stretch. They're even in the second, plus two in the third, and minus 15 in the fourth. So I expect UCF to, you know, I would not, so if UCF falls down early in this game, don't be, that shouldn't be a surprise. That happens quite often, but they they make their hay in the middle two quarters, and Houston kind of struggles in the fourth a little bit. So tempo tempo is going to be a key. Houston yep. likes to, to play in the seventies. I don't know if UCF wants to get into that. Houston also averages uh, they average shooting like eight threes per game, so they're going to shoot threes. How UCF defends that will be a key factor in that ball game, and uh, it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a fun game. Yep. That's a big game, so hopefully that'll get me off to a good start. And a good mood as I watch that, and then the Dolphin game. Because if you, you know that, that I'm a believer in superstition. If one team wins early, then that sets the tone for the next teams that I root for. Yeah. So let's go Knights. Let's and be also, Houston. But that's gonna be a fun game. And one last note too: we talked about how good, how important free throw shooting is, especially on the men's side. Well, right now, Houston's just sixty percent as a team from the from the free throw strike. Yep. UCF, by the way, only sixty seven percent. Not that much better, but still better. So, whichever team wins the free throw battle. And whichever team plays better defense, I think, after the first quarter is going to be going to be key. So, all right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about this year, 2020. Uh, just a bizarre year. It's been a, it's been a very sad and maddening and strange year for everybody uh, in more ways than one. But when we talk about it from the UCF perspective, what are some of the positives that we can take away from it? And what are the things that we're just going to be left wondering about as we head into 2021? Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy, Andrew Glukov joining here for our final show of 2020. You can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, uh, Black and Gold Banneret.com. We are the home of UCF Sports on SB Nation. And uh, as we have been throughout this bizarre year 2020, going back to March when Everything when the sports world just came to a halt and um, and it hurt everybody. It hurt it, it, you know in, in more ways than one. But you know we can talk. Uh, you know uh, there's no sense in waxing poetic right now about what we all know is that this has been a really sad year for a lot of people. We've um, you know it, we, we've had there's been a lot of suffering in in not just this country but around the world thanks to COVID nineteen and you know at least. At the very least, you know, at least sports gave us a little bit of a respite from that. As strange as it has been, playing sports in front of empty or mostly empty venues, um, you know, and all the controversies that have been surrounding even sometimes even the very fact that we are playing sports at all right now is certainly something that we can debate, but we won't do that on this show at least right now. But what we will talk about is when we look back at the calendar year of 2020, what will we remember that were some of the positive things from the world of um, from the world of UCF, and then we're also going to look back in this segment at some of the um, the biggest what ifs. What are the biggest what ifs that we're going to look back on and say, man, if only this had happened, what would we be talking about right now? So we'll get to that in a second. But first, let's talk about some of the things that we'll remember from 2020 and uh, that were that were positive things that came from the world of UCF sports. And Murph, I want to start with you because. You know, all throughout this year, you've been so plugged in on everything. What's the one thing that, you know, but you've always had such great perspective on it, too. And that's the one thing that I always appreciated about it. But what's the one thing that you'll look back on and say, this is something that I remember the most? I didn't pay Jeff to compliment me on my plugged in or nor my uh, my perspective, but I appreciate that. 
I the thing that stood out to me, as far as again, because I don't want to stick to just sports here, because it, it feels it, it doesn't feel right to just say like there's a game or a play or a team that stuck out, but really because this this year had so much more beyond just the realm of sports, you know, uh, in it. My, the thing that stood out to me was the the effort by UCF student athletes to get registered to vote, to which there was a hundred percent. Uh, registration among the entire student-athlete body. Every single one of them, uh, whether they were already registered or had never, never registered, uh, did become registered to vote in this election, in this presidential election back in November. Greg McRae, I think more, you know, most famously, uh, really spearheaded the effort to get UCF, the, UC, the entire UCF football, UCF football team registered to vote. And there are pictures online of Greg sitting with his teammates as they're putting in their information on, you know, on documents and, and electronic forms to get themselves registered. And uh, I think that in this year, that's one of the things that's that's most important, more than any win or loss or play, that was important. And, and so that's something that, that for me sticks out as a supreme positive from this year. I will always hold a soft spot in my, soft spot in my heart for Greg McRae, who, by the way, earlier today announced – uh, that he uh, or, or yesterday actually I should say that he is uh, that he is leaving UCF and going to show off his wares at the professional ranks. Uh, we'll have more on that in our final segment. But um, you know nobody I think understands what it means to be a citizen uh, in in UCF world more than Greg McRae does. Having been at Navy, having been at the Naval Academy, even even though he eventually left and came here, much to the benefit of UCF certainly, but. You know, you don't get to that point, you know, as an 18-year-old without understanding what it takes to be a citizen. And Greg McRae is certainly, uh, you're, you're absolutely right, Murph. I mean, Greg McRae certainly stepped up his game and helped out, um, you know, not just his own teammates, but, you know, a lot of, uh, 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 you know, a number of UCF student-athletes. And also helping out in his volunteer work, uh, a number of players also who, or, or a number of other UCF students who I'm sure may not have had the opportunity to register to vote, actually did get the opportunity to register to him. So, so big ups to Greg McRae. Uh, we're going to miss him around here a lot. What a dude. What a dude. Eric, I'll go with you next. What do you got? I think you both, you and Murph kind of hit really the, the highlights there, the main points, the most important parts there where the, you know, look, I mean, the voting registration. Remember, I remember Coach Dawkins, the basketball team, right? I think that's moving forward. I would say, would you guys agree? The next every every time we have an election night, that that's gonna that everybody's gonna be registered to vote, and I think that's gonna pay dividends, uh, not just this year, but in future elections, uh, to get young people to elect and, and vote and be uh, active, and I think that's a huge positive. So I think you both nailed that very well uh, on that. The only thing I would add is, look, and because I know we're gonna spend more time on what went wrong with football, I guess, in the next segment, but I will say the biggest positive. Uh, from football playing is that they got to play and they played uh, what 10 games and that didn't have to be rescheduled I know that they had the FIU game before the year but that had nothing to do with them for them to kind of stick it out and I know there was opt-outs but to play nine ten games and provide a, a diversion if you will uh, for a few hours for people uh, even if they were mad about the results uh, was a, a pretty amazing stuff what they did. I didn't think that a lot of teams could accomplish that. They were one of the few that uh, that did without really uh, too many interruptions. And so uh, that's that's something of a, a salute to them on that regard. 
But I think everything you hit is kind of the highlights of 2020. And uh, from that standpoint, from a UCF standpoint, and, and just kind of, you know, watching their best interest. And, and, and that was very big, big, big thing that certainly uh, will be remembered. But certainly the off-the-field stuff, you mentioned the Greg McRae stuff and the voting, I think by far stands at the top. I, I, I do want to echo that, too, with, in terms of UCF football and getting these 10 games off without losing any of them to COVID, you know, issues within within their their clubhouse, right, is when we look back on it, I think pretty remarkable. And it speaks to the incredible commitment and dedication and discipline. Yes, let's use that word, discipline, of the players and the coaching staff. And uh, in terms of understanding, you know, what they needed to do in order to get the season off. And I think that, you know, that went underappreciated this year. And I think that that's, uh, that's something that, you know, when we look back on it, and all the controversies that we're seeing around college football now, I mean, bowl games getting canceled at the last minute. Um, it's pretty amazing that they were able to pull that off. How about you, Drew? What do you got? Well, I mean, we, we talk about sports and stuff, but, you know, what what derailed sports altogether? And obviously that was COVID-19. My, my, my thing of the year was looking away from sports altogether. And I got to call out Darren Edwards. Uh, he's a UCF triple grad. Got his bachelor's, got his master's, got his doctorate in biomedical sciences from UCF. He's the director at Moderna who did the non-clinical research to get the Moderna vaccine that's now being uh, distributed out there to try and get rid of this horrible you know, pandemic. Uh, he needs to be called out, too, because I mean, uh, how, how many other schools can say, hey, our guy was the head researcher on on getting this vaccine out there for for one of the big two that are currently out obviously we've got another one on its way but you know right now there's only two so darren edwards works at moderna he's been there for not quite two years he's a director of uh non of infectious diseases works with the uh, national institute of health i mean but to you know the work that that he's done to try and and curtail this pandemic we're dealing with which, if they're successful, sports comes back. Now, it may take a while because we have to, you know, create and distribute and all this other stuff, but their success becomes sports success, and I think we have to remember that. Yeah. Gosh, that's awesome. Three it's rare that you see somebody who's a three-time UCF graduate, right? Because usually they tell you, you know, you want to go to some other school to get your grad work done, but he got it done here at UCF, and props to uh, props to Mr. Edwards for uh, for his hard work and the hard work of his staff on this. And, I, you know, you're right. We're, we're not going to see sports be fully back until, the until you know, we get to a certain point where enough people have a vaccine or have developed immunity. And that's going to take, that's a heavy lift that hopefully, you know, we'll be able to take on as a society from, you know, through the spring and into the summer. Because, yeah, I, I do have, I'm optimistic that at least in 2021, in the fall of 2021, we'll have, you know, hopefully things will be back to some semblance of normal we can have a full spectrum or, or a few uh, a full bounce house for football in uh, 2021 my my uh, thing that i'll remember is you know this has been a tough holiday season for a lot of people and you know the holidays are sometimes tough for you know for a lot more than we for a lot more people than you think uh and then this one was even tougher considering the economic conditions we've been under um you know but a couple of former ucf guys really stepped up their game this year. And it, 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 and for the second year in a row, they've done this. Uh, our old buddies, Ant Roberson 
and Jordan Johnson again completed their uh, their second annual toy drive, and the fact that they were able to pull that off in the midst of a pandemic is pretty remarkable in and of itself. So I wanted to give a shout out to those two fellas, um, who you know we've all talked to you know more than once, and uh, we're big fans of them. And no matter what they do, and for them to do that, um, it's just been uh, is it, it, just it just shows the the again similar to what Greg McRae is the, the citizenship that is that these guys that that the UCF student athletes show um you know outside of the arena and um it's just really encouraging to see they're great citizens and I hope they continue to do that so uh big credit to Ant and JJ on that so um because they just because they deserve it and a job well done by them making um making it a happy Christmas for some kids out there uh all right, now we'll get to the stuff that we're going to think about, you know, going forward, the what-ifs of this year. I mean, Lord knows there were a lot of them, but uh, uh, Eric, I'll start with you on this one. What's you, when you look at the biggest what-if from 2020 for UCF, what is it? Uh, without question is the what-if spring UCF baseball and softball. I mean, they were having tremendous seasons, uh, both top 25 teams, both rolling along. Had no uh, I, signs of slowing down either of them. No, very talented teams. I mean, I remember obviously baseball, the final of it, of it there against Miami. It was a packed house. They lost by one. And uh, that's the night that the sports shut down and softball blew out a very good Cal State Fullerton. But yeah, they were they were headed for historic years, especially softball. They were gonna I think they were gonna steamroll through the American, could have put themselves in position the way they were playing to possibly host for the first time or at least be in contention, have a dynamic offense with a deep pitching staff. Uh, And then baseball had a deep pitching staff as well uh, with maybe the most dominant closer in UCF, at least for a single season, that any UCF closer ever had, Uh, which Murph will talk. I'll defer to Murph on that because he got to see him on a daily basis in Hakinson. But both teams having great seasons, and it got derailed. And, and, you know, what's unfortunate – for both of those teams, there'll be that those teams will always have that what if. It's always going to be that what if uh, things would have turned out differently. How would have season played out for both of those programs? And now, you know, they hope to get back on the field in 2021 and try to reduplicate that, which will not be simp- easy, especially on the baseball side with a lot of the, the personnel they lost from that team. Uh, softball is fortunate in that they pretty much record, return the core, uh, pretty much just about everybody from last year's team. But it, as we know, in sports, it's tough to to kind of just bottle all that up and just think, assume that it's just going to do be the same the following year. It's not. So that's that will always be the what if is what if for baseball and softball that season. Yeah. And I'll even include tennis. Remember, tennis was off to good starts, too, and the women's was coming off that Sweet 16 year the year before. The men's team was off to a tremendous start. Um, you just, I just feel bad for those guys, groups because that could have been a real special year, maybe the greatest spring in the history of the, of the, of the athletic department. When the season was called off, baseball was 15-3. and three. Softball was 21-5-1. I mean, mm-hmm. that's... And those two were ranked, and both tennis programs were ranked right. at the time. Yeah, it's true. Murph, what about you? Well, I mean, it is. Yeah, it's always hard for me to sort of shy away from baseball here because it was a super regional type team, and Jeffrey Hakinson having just an incredible year. Uh, I don't know that the in the the like strike. He had like a weird strikeout to walk. He had like it was like twenty seven to 
one strikeout to walk. It was really it was he had some dumb stats because he was just amazing <laughs> as a closer. I do remember that he had a three percent free ball rate. Like he wasn't even walking people. He wasn't even giving them three balls. Um, yeah, it was just too bad because that team was so good, and and had so much pitching and enough hitting finally to really even it out. So, but because Eric uh, really said most of that, I will go to something that I think people were looking forward to for about nine months. And that was a matchup between two top 20 football teams in North Carolina and UCF and two of the best young quarterbacks in the yep. sport with Sam, with Sam Howell and Dylan Gabriel. And people were talking about that almost as soon as the Gasparilla Bowl ended because North Carolina had a big – I know Howell had a big bowl game too last year. So people were looking at that as like, wow, what a way to start the season. Two ranked teams, two, uh, I think, sophomore quarterbacks, and it's going to be a great showcase and a great test out of the gate. And that didn't happen. And so, you know, we can all we can we can bicker about the how this season ended, and I guess we will. But that, regardless of how everything turned out, uh, not being able to see that game, that sort of personal quarterback matchup. Um, really, yeah, it, it sucks because, again, we were looking forward to that for the better part of nine months. Yeah, I mean, and there was even some speculation that maybe we would get matched up with them in the bowl game. But, you know, it's, yeah, well, I mean, you're right. It's a bummer. No, they're in Florida. They're playing in a Florida. Yeah, they're, they're playing. Far away. Yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's about it. So close. Uh, Drew, what about you? Well, for, for me, it's, you know, what if the 10 players that opted out didn't, uh, you know, in football? Because I think that made a, a big difference in how the trajectory of that season went. You know, you had two starters, Tay Gowan, who was their their best corner coming into the season. You know, you teamed up with, with Antoine Collier and Richie Grant. You had a very solid defensive backfield. Kalia Davis, a starting defensive tackle. And Mason Chalewa, who is uh, a rotational Guy, and then you have uh, Devontae Dawson, who was supposed to be part of their two deep as well. There's four guys within the two deep that are that are gone on the defensive side before the season ever starts, and, and you know we've seen what happened as a result. I mean, the defense got torched regularly. You had freshmen coming in and having to play a lot of meaningful time when when they could have been better served by by not having to play. Uh, what would have happened differently? if those four players were still there. Uh, I think we can definitely say that the, the Memphis game would have ended differently. Uh, we can we can probably say the Cincinnati game would have ended differently, and we could say that the Tulsa game would end differently. Uh, I don't think the bowl game would have changed all that much unless they ran the, the, the complete table and got to a better bowl game. I, I think with everything going on, it was in-state or bust. Uh, outside of, of the New Year's Six. So let's assume they still ended up in the same bowl game. You still have players opt out. I think the result would have been the same but a little bit closer. But uh, I think the dynamic of the team really, really changed when those four players opted out. So the what if is what if they didn't? Yeah. I, it's... And- that, 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 that's Drew, one thing that we're going to be that we're going to be wondering about with 20... Uh, you know, so many things about the football season in 20... I'm sorry, uh, Brian, go ahead. I was just saying, like, it's funny, like, you bring it up, and, like, it Drew, those three games you mentioned, like, if those games turn out differently, then, yeah, UCF is playing for a conference title, and they're in a different bowl game, probably regardless if they win or lose that game, and if they win that game, then, you know, I mean, we're, we're extrapolating a lot, I get it, but it, it's the domino effect of this. 
if if, they, if those players don't opt out, then those three close games might change the result, which means UCF is playing in a conference title, title, title game. If they win that game, they're a New Year's Day Six Bowl, and then probably guys like Richie Grant and Aaron Robinson maybe aren't lead, aren't opting out early of that game, uh, possibly. Maybe they play in that game and UCF has a chance to win that game too. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, like, is it like it's crazy to say like that those those opt outs are the difference between UCF possibly being undefeated? Um, but I, I, you can like you can squint and see the results and look at what went wrong and go like, boy, if they had some holes plugged here, 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 and and it was those guys who were there. Yeah, it's 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 kind of it's kind of interesting to sort of um, like unfold all of that and see the scenarios. Yeah. They had their highest ranking right regular season all time going into that. The Tulsa game weren't they like ten? Um, at that point, I mean, they were the flavor talked about preseason. Hey, they could crash the party, make the playoff, especially if the Big Ten is out and things like that. I mean, it was set up to be this big game. And, yeah, UCF uh, was eleven. UCF was eleven uh, going to that Tulsa game, and they hmm. were up eighteen in that game. They were up eighteen. They were up twenty-three to five against Tulsa. I don't think I don't think anybody was thinking in the second quarter, hey, this season's going to be a six and four year. So uh talk about what ifs. What if, you know, you play show up in the second half against Tulsa? What if a kick is made in the Memphis game? It's a uh it's kind of a peculiar football season. I want to do point out a couple of positives on the court stuff or on the field, however you want to phrase it. There was a national championship won this year by a UCF team. Uh, that was cheerleading. Yeah. In January, won the – and they're going to – I mean, they're. I'm assuming they're a month away from defending their title. Uh, but after what is – what was it, like seven years, 13? What was the last time, Jeff? It was a I think it was 2014, I want to say. So it's about a six-year – I think it was 2007. Oh, you might be right. Yeah, 2007. Yeah. So a 13-year absence. So, I mean, on, I mean to me – uh, they're probably the team of the year just because if we did those type of awards because they did win a national title for Coach Gooch and company there, that was tremendous. Also, we saw, in my opinion, uh, in her last year, maybe arguably the greatest women's basketball player in the history of uh, of the program in K.K. Wright. Uh, players last year, unfortunately, ended in a semifinal loss against Cincinnati. We'll never know. You talk about what ifs. What if would they have made the tournament? Would they have been an, a WNIT team? We'll, ne- you know, we'll never know because we obviously none of that happened. Uh, but what we did know, what we do know, is we probably saw, and I ranked her in the my UCF 250 series as the greatest women's basketball player of all time, and uh, so many great moments for her. So a salute to her and her tremendous career uh, that unfortunately came to an end the way it did. Probably deserved better than that, but that's just the way it goes. But to salute to her and. You know, salute to some of the baseball guys that did not return. You mentioned Jeff Hakinson got drafted by the Rays. Uh, the way the Rays are going right now, he could be on opening day lineup after they get rid of everybody else they get they trade before the opening day of the season. Uh, and But also Trevor Holloway, right? Uh, Murph had a monster year going on as a starter, and he ended up signing with the Yankees. Uh, so a salute to him and his great run among some of the other guys on that team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Trevor Holloway was a guy who always had the potential, but didn't didn't really have a refined control. And then this year, he found the control, and with it, became a dominating strikeout pitcher. Really, just missed a ton of bats, didn't get a lot of free passes, and that's what got him drafted by the Yankees. Um, so yeah, again, just another reason why this baseball season. Oh, oh man, it hurts. It, it hurts. hurts. It hurts. But yeah. but another UCF alum, Chad Matola. 
hitting coach for the Rays, got to the World Series a couple games away from a title, but still won the American League title. So there you had a UCF representing in the World Series in the dugout uh, this year at Taco Fall. Taco in the bubble with the Boston Celtics in the NBA playoffs as well. Uh, so, you know, we had UCF. It was kind of a star of the bubble too, right? I mean, he was – people were oh, the following videos, around, yeah. yeah, he was kind of golfing and swimming. I mean, he's he's got his own podcast now. Um, Wait, Taco has his own podcast? I'm not aware of this. Yes, he and Grant – you know, him and Grant Williams do a podcast. Oh, boy. You want to be <laughs> – I know. We, we got to get you on I that. I already subscribed to too many podcasts. <laughs> I guess one more ain't – one more is okay. Yeah. By the way, quick note for you, Eric. Uh, the UCA and UDA College Cheerleading and Dance Team National Championships have been postponed to April 27th and 28th of 2001. Usually they're in wow. Uh, usually they're Lady, in January, more, but wow, yeah. we got a lot. Holy smokes! April, April could be yeah. really wild. Yeah, um, that's good. Hopefully they'll have an opportunity to defend their title there. Um, so that was kind of unique there from a UCF alum standpoint. I remember. I mean, it got to a point in that summer, right, where Cal Bloom making a SmackDown debut, former UCF tight end, was like that we were writing about that. That's what <laughs> right. Um, another po- another positive for UCF football, they're not going to lose their bowl game as badly as Florida is losing their bowl game. Oh! <laughs> yeah, it's not a good year for the state of state of Florida. Yeah, it's um, been a rough year. Bowl games, but. So those are some of the moments, I think, from 2020 that stands out. And obviously many questions go uh, going into 2021. Yeah, there are a lot of questions, and we're going to get a lot of them answered hopefully soon, one way or the other. But um, you know, this is going to be a big year transition for 2021 for this, for not just UCF football, but I think for uh, a lot of UCF programs in general. You know, as we as we say, how do you weather, you know, these these this season, especially you know, for example, volleyball who just released their schedule, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, you know, how how do they weather this uh, bizarre schedule that we're going to be seeing with the, a lot of the fall sports in the spring. How does uh, UCF handle hosting all these events? How do all the other teams in the American handle hosting all these events uh, when they get when they get the chance? How to are we going to get used to seeing Mackenzie Milton garnet in gold? I we're not. I know that much. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the other. That's probably story. that's probably the most. That's probably the the one thing for sure we know about twenty twenty one is we are not going to be used to seeing that. No, but I'll tell you what. Probably the most memorable classy transfer. With the video, right? Like that's not going to be forgotten. Um, well, yeah, the school made a production out of it. Yeah, yeah. and mean, did so say, on very short notice, reportedly too, from what I understand. Yeah. So I, I think that's a, something that people will remember in 2020, and they'll think about, and what's going to be unique in 2021 when you see them in Garnet and Gold. And I, I, you know, we mentioned this on the night shift with I talked with Murph and Andrew. I want your thought. I mean, you could have, you could have in 2021, Mackenzie Milton starting at Florida State. And Daryl Mack starting at O-Dominion at the same time. And Dylan Gabriel starting at UCF. How about that? Yeah. Well, yeah. and then you have Noah Vedral up at, at Rutgers. Yeah. Don't forget, don't sleep on Noah Vedral with the Scarlet Knights, my friends. Greg oh, Chiano no, he's, he had an outstanding year for very all, good you know, year. all things considered up there. Yeah. Well, and, well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you boys this question. If you had to predict for 20, which of those quarterbacks would you pick right now to have the best year of the, of the group? And whatever subjective way you describe it, like I mean, obviously Milton's the, the story everybody's going to focus on the comeback, just being on the field. Yeah. But yeah. but I, I am fascinated just putting that aside. I mean, that each individual has their own unique story. Well, wins and losses strictly, it's, that that answer is pretty easy. I think it's going to be Dylan Gabriel. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, you know, ODU <laughs> by uh, by not having a season really pushes them back in a momentum standpoint from other schools in Conference USA. They're the only ones not to play. Uh, Rutgers always has an uphill battle in the Big Ten East. Enough said. Yeah. And and Florida State has so many holes that have to be worked on. Uh, I don't know if Mackenzie Milton can can fix that. If we're just talking about statistics, like because again, like the the best year would belong to Mackenzie as soon as he takes the snap. But if we're just talking about statistics, I'm intrigued to see what Daryl Mack can do in conference yeah. USA. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, he's he's kind of the sleeper pick, isn't he? I mean, because he can, because again, he doesn't have, he's not a polished quarterback by any sense. Like people were asking me, like, why why is he going to such a small school? Like, well, he's never been a great a great quarterback. He's never really shown great touch on balls, uh, great accuracy as a passer. He has a ton to work on. Where McKenzie or Dylan Gabriel is far much more advanced. But in that in that league, with his athleticism, his size. Uh, he could be an absolute terror uh, and a real tough guy to handle running running a bunch of read option. And uh, I, I'm I'm kind of intrigued to see that because he could he could statistically put up some huge numbers in that conference. And yeah. by the way, I, I'm I'm looking at their schedule. By the way, they're not ducking people in the non-conference. They're gonna they're scheduled to open the season at Wake Forest September 4th. Hmm. Then they're as scheduled to go to Liberty September 18th. And host Buffalo, September twenty five. Those are three Ooh. bowl teams. That's Ooh, a great I, I don't think they expected that to, to play out the way they did when they scheduled oh, no. them. <laughs> no, I guarantee you they did not. No, no, they didn't. Uh, but that so he's going to be. I mean, some of those games might get televised. He might get some exposure there, whether it be you know there. And uh, I'm 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 with you, Murph. I I think Max the sleeper here. Oh, by the way, you know, I could see it now where each week we're doing a show. It's like, oh, by the way, wow, did you see Daryl Mack, what he just did? Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, wow. Yeah, it reminded me of that. We're going to be on UCF quarterback watch here. <laughs> hey, man. It'll Listen, be Saturday. You're right. It's, uh, yeah, that's a good transfer, Daryl. So I, I'm very fascinated to see how those guys do, and that's going to be something that people kind of get accustomed to, seeing those box scores. Yeah. He definitely has a very easy path to, to start, and if you look at those those 19 19- – you know, numbers, they're not impressive. Um, that, that was a bad team. So, I mean, the opportunity is certainly there for him to step in and take charge of that team. But, but you know, Murph's right. He's not an accurate quarterback. You know, he's uh, basically a 50% quarterback. Right. And For his career, he's conference- 51 of 100 passing. Yeah, and, and, you know, in Conference USA, that can work for you because, you know, you're dealing with a different talent, you know, set. In the American, it, did not, it wasn't going to work. Uh, that's why Brandon Wimbush didn't last very long because he had the similar, the same accuracy problems that that Mac had coming in. I remember when I wrote a comparison piece between the two for another site shortly after the transfer, and I basically blasted the Wimbush transfer, saying UCF doesn't need him; they already have one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting point. I'm I'm really going to be intrigued by seeing that by seeing what Daryl does in Conference USA, but I think I have to agree with Murph also that. The second Mackenzie Milton takes a snap for Florida State, that's kind of the emotional winner. And that would be potentially, if the schedule stay on track and he wins the job, would be Sunday Labor Sunday night on Labor Day weekend. Florida State is scheduled to host Notre Dame. So in that, Tallahassee, yep, no doubt a national a TV fortune. game. That is going to be a big televised. It'll probably be an ABC Sunday night game. Uh, there will be a lot of attention there. 
Uh, that And that's going to be emotional. It's going to be a huge moment if he wins the job, and I think he will. Uh, that's going to be a significant moment for a lot of people. Uh, you know, media that's covered the story. There's going to be a lot of story angles, and it's going to be weird for a UCF fan perspective because I think there's going to be a lot of happiness for him, but there's going to be a lot of them that's going to feel a little anguish because Florida State's going to get all the attention with him mm. and not UCF. So it's going to be it's going to be unique. It's going to be a unique, surreal week if that not were only to that, play out. Not only that, Eric, but you know, Florida State's going to get the credit for in, in perpetuity. Correct. Uh, you go Correct. forward, it'll always be, you know, what's, you know, you go to his profile on ESPN, as if he gets in the NFL, what school did he come from? It's always going to say Correct. Florida State. Correct. Just like Jerry King with Miami. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen that with other sports, and we've had this conversation. Because I remember we got into this. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts. Uh, the Graham brothers. Remember we had this debate when Taco yeah. made the, the conference final. Well, does Joey, and, does Joey Graham count as a UCF alum? Well, no, because he left and he went to Oklahoma State and things like that. Now, the difference is McKenzie did graduate from UCF, so he is a graduate. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, Drew, you're right. I mean, it's going to be – I think the first couple of weeks they'll mention UCF, but I think a lot of people will probably mention Florida State. And I personally could care less about those things. I just want the kid, everybody to do well. Um, and I think hopefully – I would like to think that fans deep down – at the end of the day, a kid like Murph has said it before in previous podcasts, he literally almost gave out, gave his leg for the program. Uh, so, you know what? Do go, you know, go. You know, I, I don't. Uh, George O'Leary said this once at a UCF rally. And I don't. It's like it's OK to be Seminole Knights. It's OK to be Seminole Knights for a year. <laughs> for can't a believe, year. Can't believe he said that. <laughs> he did. I don't know why. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, listen. Here's hoping that 2021 is much better than 2020 for everybody and uh, continue to stay safe. We're still we're still working through this whole thing, but the only way we can get through it is everybody doing their part. So uh, and and are we are we not going to talk about the are we taking a break? Yeah, we're going to we take ending the show. Yes, we are going to take a break. <laughs> I mean, it's not like Jeff was wrapping it up. No, no, no. I'm just wrapping up this segment because in our next segment, Murph, this Goodness gives me the opportunity to tease. Real quick, we'll talk about the uh, declarations uh, for uh, the NFL from football. The volleyball schedule is out. Our first spring schedule is out. We'll talk about that real quick. And Murph, you'll get to riff on the baseball all-conference selections that came out today. Baseball, Murph! More baseball! I, I wasn't going to leave you. I wasn't going to leave you hanging, Brian. Don't worry. Stick around. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the show. Jeff, Eric, Brian, and Drew with you here on this uh, evening, Wednesday, December 30th, uh, as we wrap up the Black and Gold Banner podcast for the year 2020. Just three quick little news items before we get going. First of all, uh, we had a flurry, like we mentioned in the previous segment, of uh, declarations uh, to, for, the, um, for the NFL draft. Murph, uh, some of them were a surprise, but uh, m- many of uh, but it were... Maybe one of them was a surprise, but actually maybe not not that much of a surprise, in particular with the three big ones, right? <laughs> no, they were surprised. Well, maybe not, but one was. Well, he wasn't. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Was it? Was it? I'm asking you. No, not really. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, for those who have, I guess, not seen the news over the past 36 hours, uh, Trey Nixon, Greg McRae, and Jacob Harris uh, have all declared their intentions to go pro. Uh, I don't have a lot to say here, and because 
I feel like a lot of times people want to debate whether or not a player has made a good decision or the right decision to go pro when they're not like an obvious first round pick. And I have come to like, I think learn and, and mature into the opinion of it doesn't matter to us to make that call. You're right. Because it's not our life. And this is not about just like football, like for guys like Jacob Harris, who've been in college for six years, uh, you know, it, I, I don't think this is about like, oh, he might like, does he think he's going to be like a first round pick? I, I guarantee not. But there's so much more than this about, you know, maybe he wants to go just be a professional now in any walk of life or not be in college for another year or just take, you know, maybe uh, have a chance to take care of his family. There might be other personal issues we don't know about in any player in any sport. And so I find a lot of the discourse around whether or not the player's making the right decision to be really self-centered and selfish. And Boo! I... Turn I, on us, Boo! This is why this is why I'll never host a pun a punditry show <laughs> on ESPN called like Second Take because I don't do that crap. But I I I am happy for all these guys. Because we're all second rate. Uh, second, yeah, right. I, 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 wish, I just wish them well, and they've done so much with this program already. And I hope people who are questioning any decisions, especially because people, I think, thought that, like, there's a chance that Trey Nixon may come back or Jacob Harris may come back. If you're questioning their decision, understand that I'm sure they didn't make these choices on a whim. And there's a lot that goes into these decisions beyond just football. This is a life decision. This is now this is now basically you are moving on into the next stage of your life from an amateur to a professional and whatever that is. And that's a big, big life life decision. And so I, I think it's unfair for anybody to criticize that. But of course, there will be people who do. Well, I mean, you're you're 100 percent right. It is their decision. I, I wish we always, as is always the case with these things. I just wish we knew more from the players themselves as to what really went into it. What things were they? And, and a lot really of things, simple, simple. I want to make money now. If I'm going to get tackled, I want to make money well, for it. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, right? But like. You know, they are understanding, you know, they're also trying to factor in, you know, where they believe they might fall in. What are their odds of, of getting a professional contract next year? And, um, I mean, that has to factor into it somewhat. And obviously the, the, the obviously it's, the, you know, the answer is, you know, <laughs> greater than zero, but, um, but, you know, to what extent did they, you know, have they considered that and, and, you know, who, who is advising them on that and, and what information that they have but, there at their disposal that because I think I wish we had more insight into that I, as, well, I think, as a yeah, fan. I, kinda, I, wish... I think Brian just did though for you. Uh, like I thought he made. I'm glad Brian. Brian's made the best point on Jacob Harris that I've heard since this came out because people are like, well, what is he doing? He's got to work on his craft that he he's got to learn how to catch. Brian just brought it up. He's been six years, man. Six years. Yeah. Like. It's time, like at some point, you just kind of want to move on. And your stock is not going. And I think people have this idea that just because you come back, first of all, all these guys are seniors. I'm assuming they have all of them, most of them, if not all of them, have their degrees. And they probably want to move on and, and either make, try to make it out to the NFL. And yeah, you know what? Their stock's not going to improve by coming back in there. Not in Jacob Harris's uh, deal because he's been here a while. 
And yeah, he could learn how to catch. He's got to prove to them when he does combines that he can catch and all the flaws. That's where it comes down to. It's not playing an extra year. Uh, so I think all these guys are making the right moves. Greg McRae, running backs especially, like get try to get paid now, man, because you got a shelf life as a running back. Um, and we've seen this with my beloved Dolphins, with Miles Gaskin from Washington. He went undrafted. So, you know, running backs, you guys, will ha- he'll have opportunities. He's just got to be in the right situation and things like that. But I-, I don't understand why people are like, I can't believe they left. Like, yeah, like, what do you mean you can't believe it? They're seniors. Like People look at these things through two lenses, one, football, football only, and right. two, homerism. People don't sure. consider football players or any athletes really to be human in general so we don't consider life decisions. We consider them to be football decisions. I would say this. If Jacob Harris never signs on with a football team this next year or never plays it down in the NFL, that does not make this the wrong decision. Right. This, is right. a, this is his decision to make in this time. And this is not – I guarantee this cannot all be about football. This is about where he wants to take his life step next. Yeah. This isn't about like I think I'm going to go play in the NFL tomorrow. This is about my life. What do I want to do with my life? And that is his decision. And to kind of answer Jeff's question about, I wish we knew this, you are not deserving of that. We don't. I get it. I get it. I just, I wish, like everyone, I'm curious. I I wish. But you'll never, but you can never know everything that goes into every decision these kids make. Right. Um, That would be really intrusive. It would be, yeah. What, what can I say? I'm I'm I, I'm that curious. I'm like, yeah, I don't mind being intrusive and asking. Well, and here, asking here's the, the bigger the bigger question is, I, like I said, and again, they're seniors, uh, and I think people have this wrong idea just because they got an extra year to play with. Not a lot of seniors are going to take advantage of that. Uh, they're not. I, I, that's actually an improper way of describing it. It's not a taking advantage. It's like they're not going to take that opportunity uh because a lot of them want to move on either play in the nfl or move on like murph said with their life and do other things like i don't know if people realize this but football hurts <laughs> like it hurts it hurts it's a violent sport and some people like kind of get tired of playing it for free so I, I, you know that's why i don't have an issue with guys opting out of bowl games like people are making this big deal about all these florida guys opting out i applaud it i applaud all the ucf guys that opted out i would have opted out too and i think players have finally smartened up to that and are smart in the realizing, hey, I've got some control in what I can do here because, hey, if you're not compensating me, that's fine. But I'm going to you know, do what's best for me and my situation and my family. And if that means I got to opt out of a bowl game or, you know, go pro, then so be it. And I applaud that. Yeah. Well, we're, uh, you know, nonetheless, it's going to be. It's going to be sad to not see those guys in the UCF uniform anymore. Um, you know, greedily as a fan, I'm sure some, I'm sure some fans out there are like, oh, if only we could have one more year with them. But you know what? Well, I, it, I, it, I, I, I'm Murph. You've convinced me. You're absolutely right. I think the bigger question with beyond these guys moving out, guys, is going to be next year. And I think it speaks to why I think some people are disappointed about this season in six and four is because you lost a lot of personnel from this roster, and you're going to be pretty young next year. And I think there are le- legitimate questions in certain positions, and you wonder if, dare I say the word, rebuilding is in store here for this team in 2021. Oh, my because God, they're... he's using the R word, Murph. I know. mean, I'm sorry, Murph. Maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, Jim Thorpe finalists don't grow out a tree in, like, that quickly. I could be wrong. <laughs> uh, no, I agree. And and certainly with the, the players uh, who are, are no longer here, 
especially the running back room and the and the wide receiver room. Like this team's going to need to really find out and replace some big time contributors. And that's not even that's before we get to are they going to make big strides in the defensive backfield? Who's going to step up at safety positions? Obviously, there are guys that are there, but I mean to replace a guy like Richie Grant or or Aaron Robinson, that's that's a tall order. Um, but you know, and I was talking last night to some guys because I was at the um, I was at the Cheez It Bowl talking to some people about UCF, and it, it, there's a lot of attrition here on this offense. Uh, you yeah. know, we've got, you got Jalen Robinson, Ryan O'Keefe, uh, you know, Josiah's Jakias Cradle, um, but like I, I don't know, Cradle didn't do a whole a whole a ton this year, and uh, otherwise, how do you replace Marlon Williams, Trey Nixon, and Jacob Harrison one year? How do you replace? Otis Anderson and Greg McRae in one year. I mean, now you've got Batavius Thompson, who's sort of a more of been a change of pace back at UCF, and then Demarius Good, Johnny Richardson, R.J. Harvey. Like that's a that there's a lot to be proven there. I mean, I'm sure yeah. we'll be writing some articles about what needs to be proven offensively for UCF, and we haven't had to write those articles for about three years now. Right. Yeah. You know what the hard might part is transfer about transfer portal. Transfer portal might have to will probably be in play for some of this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, and the hard part about that, you know, also for, you know, is we don't know what we're going to have in terms of a spring season at all for football, which is usually when you would get the opportunity, when, when these guys would get the opportunity to, um, to, to get used to the system, to figure out what their roles are, where the coaches get to evaluate them and see what they have. And who knows how much summer we're going to have too, if, uh, if things continue to um, to uh, to roll on as they are so far with uh, COVID nineteen, I mean, hopefully, you know, we'll get some, you know, the the vaccines and it will will help to alleviate that over time. But this is a this is a large country, and it's gonna it's gonna take a team effort by everybody to get to kind of get us to the point where it's you know, all the coaching staff's fault. Boo! It's the coaching staff's fault. Fire them all. <laughs> Come on, get the vaccine going, coaches. We just, yeah, like it's like it's in their hands. I mean, we just don't know. We just don't know. I didn't it's, like that. You didn't like that uh, Murph. That was my weekly impression. Oh, I know the troll. No, the troll voice. I do. The troll, like, yeah, the troll voice had to make its appearance uh, at least once. So voice, usually, the troll voice is is more like droopy dog. Ooh, boo, boo, boo. <laughs> I, I was I was more looking forward to that than your. That sounded more like upset Eric. That sounded yeah. more like upset Eric. That's, yeah, that's more. yeah, yeah. So. But, I'm more um, upset that you got you mentioned Cheese It Bowl Tuesday night. I mean, how many Cheese It boxes you get hooked up to in that? I did take home my complimentary Cheese It box. Oh. I don't I don't know if I should open it because it is a commemorative <laughs> Cheese It Bowl box of Cheese Its. I feel like I could sell that on eBay for a solid two dollars and fifty cents. Mur- Murph is okay. Was the Cheese It Bowl trophy a a giant metallic Cheese It, or was uh, it or was it a bowl of Cheese Its? So I don't know the trophy, but you saw what happened to Mike Gundy after the game, right? Yeah, he got the cheese it's jumped on him, dumped on him, and that was fantastic. <laughs> exactly, you got the cheese at bat, which really made us upset when uh, when uh, they didn't dump the uh, Wisconsin coach in a vat of mayo earlier I, today. That oh, been... <laughs> so, no, I'm, but they I'm... did break the trophy. Did you see that? So Jeff, I'm looking at the trophy. It's got the basic like silver metallic trophy base, and then on top of it, where like a crystal ball would sit, yeah, it's just a big glass bowl of cheeses. Yes, 
That's what I was hoping for. And the players are around it, and they're cramming their faces with Cheez-Its. I, which, I, which they have every right to do when you win the Cheez-It Bowl. Yes. Oh, give Thanks. me some of that. But th- I, I, by the way, I love the Cheez-It Bowl for just leaning into that. It's great. <laughs> God bless them. They're the most self-aware bowl people in the world. Thank God they're in All Orlando. Right. All right. All right. Well, there you go. But yeah. there you go. That's that's. The, but I will let. We'll finish on this. To the you saw De'Ara King in person get injured. He was going to come back. So for all the fans that complain why a guy's leaving, I don't. You know, guys can take it injured. So just keep that in mind. I don't hear players, the fans saying, "Oh man, that stinks, man. You got hurt." Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wonder now if, if does De'Ara King actually change his mind? Right. And 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 then like, how do the fans react to that again? We shouldn't care how fans react. It's not their decision, but I'm sure tons will be like, but you said you were coming back. And it's like, Come yeah. on, dress it up. What about school loyalty? Get the hell out of here. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, what's wrong with saying I changed my mind? Circumstances <laughs> happen. My knee is Stuff happened. Sorry. Flip-flop, Jeff. You can't flip-flop. He's not running for office. Anyway. Um couple more stories that we wanted to go over real quick um volleyball schedule came out first spring sport to drop their uh, schedule is volleyball really um interesting uh format that they're playing so ucf begins their season uh uh it's 13th under todd dagenet by the way uh the uh the season will start with, I had the schedule. Here it is. Oh, yeah. January 22nd, they actually have an exhibition match against FAU uh, at the venue. And then the following day, they actually have the regular season opener. That one actually counts against FAU. The schedule is 16 matches, 11 of them at home. And the way they're working it in the American is they split the American into two divisions. And you play uh, each team in your division twice and it's a back-to-back. So, for example, UCF has two matches against Tulane, February 5th and 6th at home. Two matches at Temple, February 18th and 19th. Uh, two matches against ECU, March 5th and March 6th at home. Uh, they're at Cincinnati for a pair, and then they have South Florida at home for a pair. Non-conference, UCF has FAU, Stetson at home, two against UNF at home. And then, uh, I think this is interesting, uh, February 26th, Friday, home from Miami, and then at Miami the following Sunday uh, on February 28th. Uh, and then after those 16 matches, it's off to the American Athletic Conference Tournament in Cincinnati where it will be a uh, four-team tournament uh, on April 2nd and 3rd. And then the NCAA tournament first round begins April 9th. So this is going to be a Naruto run to the finish in volleyball. Um Eric, I'm sure you've taken a look at this uh, this schedule. This is this is pretty wild, and it's 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 interesting to see the American split itself into basically, you know, you could say two divisions, but really it's just it's really it's two sub conferences because you're not playing the anyone from the other side, right? Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed, right? As we've learned in 2020, subject to change. Yeah, you know, and literally three hours before tip off. Um, We've learned that could happen. That's kind of the interesting thing that strikes me is what happens if there you can't make up the games. I'm trying to figure out where they have if they have the room to make up those games, or do you think they would just go based by win percentage at that point? 
the way they've scheduled this, that's the thing that kind of strikes me. I mean, I guess they have – there is some weekends there. Like UCF, for example, has a weekend on the 19th open in between the trip at Cincinnati and hosting South Florida. So maybe there's mm-hmm. some pocket spots. But, man, I hope for the best. I hope it works out from that standpoint. And then, you know, it's kind of unique because, if I'm not mistaken, this is – we're going to have two volleyball seasons in one calendar year, yeah. right? Like – like it's just so that's wild. that's why it's so short too is because you can't and I really applaud that right the yeah. health of the players and uh the one i'm the happiest for is to is a mckenna, a mckenna melville because i think one of the things that was my question in the what the future was going to be with the fall schedule with volleyball and things was how many matches would she get to play because she's on track through her first two years to break the kills career record and potentially be the first ever four-time All-American in program history. At least now she might have a shot with this. They're going to be the favorites. The trip at Cincinnati, playing Friday, Saturday, that's big. Cincinnati, obviously, Jordan Thompson has graduated. Uh, but that's still Thank that's God. Gonna... Love you, Jordan, but we're glad you're uh, gone. <laughs> right. But that's going to be tough at Temple back-to-back Thursday, Friday with Temple, too, by the way. Well, I don't know if you noticed that. Kind of a short week you've got. Now, the Tulane two matches is not conference, by the way. The It's kind of unique. It's basically both teams wanted to find games, and they just decided to play each other, even though they're both conference teams, and it's right. not a conference games uh, in that regard. But I do like their schedule from the standpoint. You look at their road trips at Temple, at Cincinnati. Uh, the one match at Miami. It? Yeah, but like from a conference standpoint, yeah, you've got South Florida at home to finish at Cincinnati. It's going to come, probably come down to that, but you know they're going to be eager to play, right? You got to think these players have been practicing in the fall. They're they're eager to get out there and uh, hope for the best for them, man. Hope for the best well, for all the all the all it, of them. There. It's it's a race to the finish. By the way, good job by Todd of staying in state too with the non conference. Right, because yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, now, now we're lucky in that you know here in Florida you have so many programs where you can do that. You know, that, yeah, that, Miami's good. Like that's a good home and home to get. Yeah, with Miami. Do you think? Let me ask you this: Do you could you see? And you know, I'm sure we'll have Todd on at some point. I am curious: Could you see uh, in future schedules a little bit more of this? You know, hey, you know, sometimes you know you take some positives of a bad situation and. You know, you might, hey, you know what? It's not a bad idea. Maybe we see some home and homes with a Miami like in future schedules and things like that. Could you well, see more of that they, in volleyball? Well, they've done that before with having home and homes with non conference in the season. In fact, uh, was it the year that we hosted in the NCAA? Florida Gulf Coast actually did have a home and home with us. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. In, uh, in, in the, in the, uh, in the non conference schedule. Um, you know, we had one weekend where we uh, where UCF played in a tournament down in Fort Myers, and then I think the following weekend UCF played them in a tournament up here. But um, as far as the format of the schedule itself, where you're playing two matches in one in one setting on back to back days, I think that's very much a one off thing. It's uh, okay, you know, and, and especially because you know, remember, this is what's odd about this, and why I was really intrigued by this is that is that the east and west sides are are uneven. Because UConn is gone, right? UConn would be in UCF's side of in UCF's division, but since they've obviously left for the Big East, UCF the teams in the East side of the American play one fewer uh, play one fewer opponent than the teams on the West side. 
So that actually turns out to be an advantage for UCF, uh, Cincinnati, and whoever comes out to be the contender, the, the contenders from the East, because they'll be fresher heading into the American Athletic Conference tournament, uh, having played one fewer weekend. So, Well, um, right. And the other weird thing about this, the Miami home and home, keep in mind this, Miami played in the fall. The ACC played yeah. in the fall, like the SEC did. Miami went five and three in the fall. So you're going to, you know, in that situation, it's kind of unique because Miami already played in the fall. Yes. Meaning, you the, know, and basically now, they're going to be playing a few like warm up matches prior yes. to getting ready for the, uh, or, or, you know, do they play in the NCAA? Right. Tournament. Like, that's an open question. Well, right and we I guarantee know. you, probably the reason why Miami agreed and UCF agreed to play each other's, they both realized this. They both kind of need that game potentially. You don't know. Like, if you're Miami, you probably, hey, if you beat a good UCF team that could be, you know, potentially a top 25, that helps your resume. And if you're Todd, that helps your resume. So that could be a scenario where, yeah, that could be a big factor, especially remember the field. This year in volleyball will be 48, not 64. Right. Right. Good point. So, uh, so again, that first uh, home match, regular season home match, January 23rd. That's a Saturday, 1 p.m. against FAU. The two teams play an exhibition match the day before, Friday, January 22nd uh, at 1 p.m. at uh, the venue. Last but not least, Murph, baseball Ooh, news. Let's go. Preseason all-conference selections here. UCF baseball getting ready to start. Look at this. Preseason picks. Preseason oh. all-conference picks. Jackson Clare and Colton Gordon are the uh, are the are the first guys to pull in some preseason hardware. Uh, they have both been named to the AAC's preseason all-conference team. You talked about that pitching staff from last year. Well, these are a couple guys who are. Uh, who, uh, or at least one guy who's who's back uh, who's back in action here, right? Well, both. Certainly. They're both. Yeah. On the starting rotation, Colton Gordon is presumably this team's Friday night Friday night starter once again. He was the Friday night starter in 20, uh, 2020, um, and you know was the innings eater guy. Twenty three innings, most on the staff, two point three five ERA, uh, and and then Jackson Clare looks like the natural uh, follower in the footsteps of Jeffrey Hakinson. Uh, absolutely dominant last year out of the pen, uh, striking out 20 and 13.1 innings of work, uh, 1.35 ERA uh, in that time. So, yeah, you probably got UCF's Friday night starter and their closer on the preseason all-conference team. UCF uh, ranked second with the second most points in the preseason conference preseason conference poll, uh, only behind ECU, who is the preseason conference favorite for the third time in five years. Uh, ECU garnered Every single first place vote from the league coaches, except obviously of that of Cliff, of Cliff Godwin, because you can't vote for your own team. So which team did Cliff Godwin vote for? It wasn't second place UCF. It was third place Tulane. Come on, Cliff. And, Cliff. I and, ranked you in my top 20 assistant coaches of all time at UCF, and that's how you repay us. Boo. <laughs> Come on. And then uh, bringing up the bottom of the poll is USF. It's surprising to see them at the bottom. Well, they had a tough year last year, and they remember they've been in yeah. kind of in a transition period over there. Uh, Jeff, you've gotten to call Hunter Goodman, who's the preseason player of the year, the catcher from Memphis. He's just a sophomore, uh, so maybe you didn't get to call his games. But like, no, we uh, saw him a couple years ago. Boy, that kid can okay. hit. Oh okay. boy, he is the real deal. 
Yeah, and I mean, I, I, he he probably I think he was in the run. Depp, Murph, you would say, uh, you know, I, I thought he was well on his way to being the conference player of the year last year. Yeah, yeah. So and, so, uh, and if we if we see anything like what we saw in the in last year's abbreviated season, um, boy, he's going to be a terror out there for Memphis. He he, he could single handedly, you know, it's been a tough stretch for Memphis. They finished sixth in the league last year at ten and seven, um, but yeah. they could finally be a competitor based on him. Good man, eight home runs in seventeen games. I mean, my God, really? Oh. Yeah. Is, like, is there anybody? Is, yeah, I mean that it's going to be the, the league is stacked. I think it's going to be a top five RPI league again, even without uh, UConn, which is which is correct. Amazing when you think about it, how really good. I I, I don't want to say dominant. I think that's too strong of a word, but but how excellent UConn has been year in and year out in this league. And they're gone now, and this is going to be a really tough league once again. Gosh. 18 league. I mean, Jake Kuchminer back with ECU pitcher. He wasn't even the preseason pitcher of the year. Actually, I would have gone with him, but they went with Brayton Olhoff of Tulane. Is there anybody on the UCF roster, Murph, that you thought, hey, should maybe should have been considered on the all-conference? You think they got it right? Yeah, I would say they got it right. Like, you know, UCF had some nice players. But, like, you know, I think they got right on the pitching side. Like, those are the two obvious guys pitching-wise you would take. Hitting, like, their best players are probably Jeffrey Pena and, and Ruiz, Pablo Ruiz. But I, I, it's hard to say. And, and Dalton Lingo as well. Uh, but it's hard to say, like, they oh, they deserve a spot. Again, I, I, I'm not sure. It's amazing to me that Jake Kuchmaner is – is still it feels like he's been in college forever. <laughs> yeah. He but, threw a perfect he threw, he threw a perfect game in March of 2019. And I yeah. felt like was he like a freshman then? Or like it was uh, it's an it's yeah, it just feels like one of those guys who should be gone by now. Uh, by the way, yeah. J- by the way, Jake Coochmanner, the younger brother of former UCF volleyball libero Mackenzie Coochmanner. Whoa! So. Look at these storylines. Hello. So, yeah. Murph, get to the bottom of that when they play ECU. Right there. Get to the bottom of that. There's your angle right there. Holy I, smokes. You know, I, I never I never made that I never made that drive from uh, Columbia, South Carolina to Greenville, North Carolina. Maybe I'll do it. <laughs> well, that's gonna be an interesting question you bring up. I, I'm curious how the conference schedule will look. There's been obviously reports, um, Kendall Rogers reporting it's probably gonna be a four game series. We talked about that last week. I know that, but you know, Four-game series in the American, man. Remember, we used to talk about Sundays being pivotal, winning series two out of three. Man, now you're thinking you win three out of four, you're golden, but split two for four ain't the worst thing in the world, especially if you're on the road. I mean, it's going to be it's gonna be wild. I, I think it's going to be a wild year in baseball with a four-game series. I mean, it's hard enough to beat a team – three out of four or even sweep. I mean, can you even, I mean, imagine if you get swept on a four, four game series in the hole you're digging yourself into there. Oh, yeah. Ooh, Murph, you still there? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's going to be rough. I was waiting for Jeff because Jeff had the disgusted, disgusted grunt there. Yeah, I know. Well, you know why? Well, the reason Jeff's disgusted is, you know, the uncertainty <laughs> whether he's going to be in Clearwater for a baseball tournament this year or not. <laughs> we don't well, know. Well, hey, I'm, I'm hoping so. Listen, if, you know, and if Memphis gets in, you know, we'll see Hunter Goodman. That's going to be... It's gonna be fun. I, I I really missed being in Clearwater last year. I really did. I really did. That's that's the one thing. I, I that's the that, of all the things that I missed. That was that was 
probably the one thing I missed the most because that was going to be a great tournament, no doubt about it. So, um, so yeah. But hey, we've got our preseason selections. What uh, the uh, season? Do we have a, a, a idea of when exactly the season might start, Murph? February nineteenth. February nineteenth. All right. So right after Valentine's. Fingers Day. crossed. Yep. Yeah. Subject to change, <laughs> as is everything. So. All right. I so, just hope, man. I'm worried. I ho- I'm worried that Murph is going to show up to the ballpark like three hours early, and somebody's going to like reach out to him and say, "Hey, man, game's off, and <laughs> you got to go." And Murph's like, "I'm not leaving. I ain't leaving." Like Leo DiCaprio in that movie. Where am I going anywhere? <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I waited too long for baseball. <laughs> That's going to be too much. Someone give me a glove. I'm going to play nine positions. Damn it. Either that, either that, or a tent. That's right. I'm and a propane tank. This. That's right. Murph's gonna be yelling. I need this. Haven't you seen Major League Baseball? Nothing's going on except San Diego Padres are making grabbing everybody. Everybody else's fire sale. I don't know if we're gonna get a full baseball season. Damn it! Let me stay. I'm staying. Oh, gosh. Anyway. All right. Well, that, that you know what? I wish we could stay, but we gotta go. How about oh. that for a segue? All right. All right. So, uh, uh, Drew had to dip out a little bit early, but I want to thank Drew for uh, coming on board. You can follow him at StatBoyDrew on Twitter. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo, and, of course, Brian at Spokes underscore Murphy, and you can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow us collectively at UCF underscore Banneret, where we will continue to have coverage of UCF football's offseason and, of course, UCF men's and women's basketball uh, as we roll on into the new year in 2021. Uh, get started here in just a couple of days, and it'll be a busy spring. We know that, but uh, we'll have it all for you here on the Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, don't forget to follow also Jeremy Brenner, Danny Medina uh, for all the latest as well, including Jeremy's amazing newsletter, which he puts together every weekday for us, which we really, really appreciate. Make sure you follow him for that. So much good content that's still coming out, even though football season is over. And we're glad to share it with you here uh, as we have all throughout 2020 and for the last. Know, almost five uh, five years here on Black and Gold Banner, and it's been um, a real blast. So uh, for Eric and Drew and Brian, I'm Jeff Saint. Thank you so much for listening. Please continue to stay safe out there, and Happy New Year. This has been the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. We will catch you in 2021.